connects two ideas. Uh, if you guys remember, what has been our vision or our theme since the beginning of this year? Do you guys remember from First Peter, right? Prepare your heart and minds for action, right? And so one of the things I would love to connect this idea of preparing is asking you how active are you, like Pastor Clayton, to share your faith? And I know not all of us in this room are called to be evangelists. Not all of us hold the office of an evangelist, or not all of us are called to full-time missionary work where we leave our secular jobs and we are um, financially supported to be a missionary. Not all of us have that same calling. I get that. But all of us are called to be evangelistic. All of us are called to a mission field, whether it be in your classroom, whether it be in your office, the marketplace, in your own home, with your families, right? All of us have a mission field that God has called us to, and we are all responsible to share our faith. And so connecting this idea of prepared, how prepared are you to share your testimony? I'll ask some questions here. These are, you don't have to raise your hand. Have you ever led someone to the Lord before? Are you prepared to do that? Do you know, are you comfortable with actually sharing someone and telling them the, the good news of the gospel and how to lead them in a prayer to do these things? Are you prepared to do that, right? And sometimes I, I think about this. Sometimes we, I know I'm guilty, I think of things like, well, that's for the evangelist. That's for other people. That's for the pastor to do. Like, I, I just do my own thing, and I just, I'm nice to people, and then if they need to be led to the Lord, I, I take them to a pastor. And the reality is, y'all are called to lead people to the Lord, myself included, right? And um, there's things where sometimes we're not comfortable. It's not really what we enjoy doing. And God is saying, I don't care about your comfortability, right? God... If you've been following the Lord for at least a couple days, you've got to know already that the Lord doesn't really care about your comfortability. He calls you out of things that, where you are comfortable into things that he, he wants you to do. And so there's this, um, I don't know, for me as a pastor, I, I believe, uh, Jen mentioned it, that we went to go visit our missionaries, Keith and Maya Durkin. I believe every Christian should go on a short-term mission trip. We can argue about whether the, what, how much good it does for that mission field, all those things. For me, the reason why I want you to go on a short-term mission trip is for your own sake. The idea is to get out of your normal routine life and to go purposely prepared to share your faith with other people. But I'll tell you, I've been on tons of short-term mission trips. Um, I love that my son's going to Mexico in a few weeks um, without his dad for the first time. He's gone on mission trips before with the family, uh, but he's going with his high school, and I love that. He's going without family to go do it on his own. I did that all through junior high, high school, college. I went to Mexico, I don't know how many times, um, been to Romania, did all kinds of short-term mission trips. And I thought when I went to college, I was preparing myself to be a missionary overseas. God was laughing the whole time because he knew I'd be here um, at the church I grew up was raised in. Um, but there's this idea, I believe all of us should go on short-term mission trips. But what actually was harder for me when I was in college was not going to a foreign land to share my faith, but was going to my own city with my own college roommates. And with the purpose is we had, like, it was like legit. We had to share our faith with 10 people in that several hours. We were like, we're going to go onto the street and you have to share your faith with 10 people and get rejected a whole lot more than 10 times, Right. It was hard to be in L.A. and be prepared to share my faith with people that I live with. I, I don't know why it was so much more difficult. I, I, when I grew up in this church, I went um, into juvenile halls with his company. And you had a captive audience, literally a captive audience in the juvenile halls. And I would sing and perform and we'd share the gospel. And somehow that was easier than being in Santa Monica, walking the streets of Third Street Promenade and seeing all these people that are... It just was so difficult. And I'll tell you, I think... 
All of you should try doing some things like this where it's not comfortable. You're not used to it. Can I tell you as a dad, sometimes I make my kids do things they don't want to do. I make them taste strange and exotic food like tomatoes and mushrooms. <laughs> right? And I, don't, I won't force them. If they don't like something, I won't force them for the rest of their life. They have to keep doing something. But I always make them try something. As they're in middle school and high school, try every sport there is. Just try things. Try, try the arts. Try, just get used to things. Just try it. And I'm telling you this morning as your pastor, some of you need to eat some of your veggies that you don't like eating. And part of this, I believe, is sharing your faith. It can seem scary to share your faith. But the reward is great. The reward is great. Uh, my mom will tell you, she's, she's an evangelist. Whether she holds the office of, a, of an evangelist or not, she is an eternal evangelist. Everywhere she goes, she's sharing her faith. I, I love that I'll get text messages all throughout the week. You know, I was in the doctor's office, and I found out some guy's name was Andrew. And I asked him, did you know there's a, an Andrew in the Bible? Well, he didn't know that. So then I shared him that Andrew is one of Jesus' friends. Do you know Jesus? You could be a friend of Jesus, right? <laughs> Every conversation is somehow to connect them to who Jesus is. And I, that's how my mom thinks. And I love that. And I would love for us to be a little more prepared to do the same thing. Are you prepared to share your testimony in front of a crowd and actually have it all laid out and talk for over 20 minutes and share your testimony? Are you prepared to give a five-minute testimony? Are you prepared to give an elevator ride testimony? Like just going to the store, right, and you're in an elevator, super quick, in 10 seconds, can you share your faith with somebody? To me, these are things I would love for us to actually stop and think about and actually write out and plan and prepare how to share your faith. And so I love that Pastor Clayton's here, um, and if you want to connect with him, do things like that, that's great. I think even if it's not your calling that you're going to partner with him for the rest of your life, don't sign that away yet, but just say, you know what, I'm willing to try some things. I'm willing to attempt something that I've never attempted before. And so I encourage you. Partner, he's got all kinds of things. If you want to know, talk to him after service. Um, there's, he's, as you heard, he is trying every little thing. He is not, a, he's, he's not an idle man, right? He's constantly coming up with things. So I encourage you, um, connect with him on that. And find out from the Lord what the Lord has for you. Um, so this morning, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, about sharing your faith. But sometimes the best way to share your faith is to shine your faith. And that's where I want to go this morning. Sometimes when I tell my kids to do something and they have to obey me and they know they don't want to do it, but they know there's no other way around it, their obedience is very different than when they have joy. Like tomorrow, I'm going to tell them they have to go to Magic Mountain with me. <laughs> right? That's not hard to listen to dad to go do that. Right? That's a fun thing to do. And sometimes I think we... We think the idea of sharing our faith is this obedience that we don't want to do. But really, there can be so much joy and satisfaction and goodness in following the leading of the Lord. Uh, really quick, I was thinking about um, in John chapter 4, it's the story of Jesus at the well with the woman, right? At the well. And as he shares that he is the promised Messiah and she believes in him, and then the disciples show up and she runs off into the town to tell everybody that she just met the Messiah, right? The disciples brought food for Jesus. And they're like, here's some food. And he's like, oh, I'm not hungry. Uh, I've had different kind of food that you don't know about. And he was satisfied. I, I share that because there's something about this joy and satisfaction that this world cannot touch. That's right. There's something about when you actually leave. I can remember, actually, the first time that I can specifically remember 
leading a kid in the sinner's prayer and then them opening their eyes from the prayer and them smiling. It was actually in Romania when I was a college student. I may have led some of the Lord before that, but that's the one I really remember. When I, when I did that, there was this joy all over that kid and all over me that I was on a spiritual high. Unlike any other, I don't know, drug, I've never really done drugs, but any other drug, any other thing you could do, anything this world has to offer, actually just sharing your faith and having someone, having their name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, having the angels jump up and down and rejoice, it gets on you. The joy of heaven gets on you. And so I'm just encouraging you, man, try something new. Let's try it. Let's try to bring people to salvation. And so this idea of shining, Sometimes it's not just hard work. Sometimes it's actually just doing what you do best. This idea of shining. I, I was thinking of a title for this morning's message. And um, I was reminded about preparing. And so actually we'll read this first. 1 Peter 3.15. It says this. This is actually 1 Peter was our theme verse for the year. Chapter 1. Chapter 3. A couple chapters later it says this. Always be prepared. That's our word for the year, right? Always be prepared. To give, I, this is a different translation, so I got to read it. To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared for everyone. Meaning hopeless, not hopeless, but homeless youth that need hope, right? Whether it be uh, a homeless person, whether it be a business person, whether it be your boss, whether it be your grandparents, whether it be whatever it is, everyone. Always be prepared. Someone who's very intelligent, someone who's depressed and discouraged, right? It doesn't matter. Are you prepared to share your faith in different ways? That's why I love reading about uh, Paul, right? This very educated man who knew everything forwards and backwards in the Jewish faith. He would argue with Jewish people, this is who Jesus is. And then he'd go to some groups and they knew nothing about the law. And he's like, all right, let's just do miracles. Let's just love on people. Let's, let's feed them. He found ways to bring the gospel in different ways. And so I love this idea, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. So it's not just always be prepared to tell people they're wrong and Jesus is right. I I get it. Jesus is the only way. But I am not just prepared to give an argument. I'm prepared to share the hope that lies within me. I have, as as Pastor Clayton would say, I have the cure for cancer. And there's people that are dying. I with joy want to give them the cure. It's not that I have to try to win an argument. It's I have the best thing in my life, and I want to share that with somebody. So this idea of sharing and shining. Jesus talks about this in, oh, so I didn't give you the title this morning's message. So to me, it's a little little funny, because when I I heard it, I was like, God, that's kind of funny. I tried to come up with different title messages, and I was like, nope, I can't come back to this one. Um, But the title this morning's message is, Shine Bright Like a Diamond. And if you're a Rihanna fan... And you know that is a lyric to a song. It's the name of a song. Shine bright like a diamond. And I'll kind of unpack why the Lord had me do that. But before I get into that, explaining the whole title this morning's message, this idea of shining. I love that Pastor um, Nick had a vision this morning of a bomb, and it was a bomb of light. It was an explosion of light. I woke up this morning with the first thing on my phone when I uh, the news. It was a news feed. Uh, what do you call it? On notification. Yeah. And it talked about all the bombings going on in Ukraine and how depressing and discouraging and, and not a lot of hope in that situation, right? But I love that Pastor Nick, his testimonies, he saw an explosion, but it was of light. It was of hope. And that's so true that in this world, we will have difficulty. We will have trials. But Jesus is the light of the world. 
right? The very beginning of our Bible, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Verse 2, right? And the earth was formless and void, and the Holy Spirit, was, the Spirit of God was hovering over the darkness, right? And verse 3, do you remember what verse 3 is? And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God is a God of light, and you see that Genesis Chapter 1, verse 1, you see the correlation of that in John chapter 1, verse 1, right? What does it say in John 1, 1, right? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And everything that was made was made through Him, through Jesus, the Word of God. And then it says this in verse 4, John chapter 1, verse 4. A fountain of life was in Him, for His life is light for all humanity. And this light never fails to shine through darkness. Light that darkness could not overcome. Jesus is this fountain of life. And then John is saying, this life can be equated with light. Light comes from Jesus. When he said, let there be light, right? John is trying to get this idea. Genesis, let there be light. When Jesus came from heaven and was born of a virgin, it was light coming onto our planet. Jesus is the light of the world. And he's this fountain of light. And the darkness cannot stop it. Light is always more powerful than darkness. So he's this fountain of life. And John... He goes on throughout chapter 1 talking about this. But then in verse 8, you have the great I am statements of, of, of Jesus, right? John records all these great I, I am statements. So John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said to the people, I am the light of the world, right? If you follow me, you won't be stumbling through darkness, for living light will flood your path. If you believe in Jesus and he comes and dwells inside of you, you will not be living in darkness, I think too much of us, we live in darkness. This idea of our negativity fast, too often we are dwelling in darkness or our our mind is thinking about dark things, evil things. And so another translation, right? Passion translation. Jesus said, I'm the light to the world and those who embrace me will experience life-giving light and they will never walk in darkness. Never walk in darkness. See, I... I read this, and if I'm honest, I know that I am saved, and I know that Jesus lives in me. But there are times and moments that my mind is thinking dark thoughts. Not evil to go murder somebody, right? Maybe not the most horrible evil thing you can think of, but it's being influenced by darkness. What is darkness? Oh, this is probably out of, let me find it in my notes. Darkness uh, in Greek is skosia. Strong's 4653, I don't have a side for this, but it says this, darkness, the Scotia means gloom, evil, sin, obscurity, night, ignorance, moral depravity, sinful nature, an absence of light, a lack of spiritual perception. Scotia equals unhappiness. Scotia as spiritual darkness basically, basically describes everything earthly or demonic that is at enmity with God. So Scotia, this idea of darkness is anything that doesn't come from God. And too often, my mind thinks of things that are not in God's thoughts, right? Too often, I'm dwelling, I am feeling things that God doesn't feel. We just talked about, there's another verse I'll read later. 
but he's this fountain of life or he's the fountain of hope. Anytime I am thinking a thought that is not anchored in hope or projecting hope over a situation, somehow darkness has influenced that thought. And I need to recognize that. This is part of our negativity fast from last week. We need to recognize when there is darkness prevailing, when we are walking in darkness, we're thinking darkness, we're acting in darkness. On Wednesday, it was great. Um, I had a little bit prepared, but the Lord just kind of did different things. I won't go through all of it. But one of the things that was said was that we cannot live in a pity party. And I equate pity party to darkness. Sometimes in life, you have a very valid and good reason to be sad, to be discouraged, to be depressed. There's always a valid reason. But it doesn't mean it's a good reason. His goodness, we just sang all through worship, his goodness surrounds us. His goodness is all around us. It's what we are thinking about. Again, faith doesn't deny the reality of difficulty. It denies its influence. So I, I see the darkness. I'm aware there's darkness on this planet. There is darkness everywhere. I'm aware of it. But I'm not allowing that darkness to make me discouraged and hopeless. I will see the goodness of God in the land of living. I will continue to open my eyes and find it. There's the goodness of God. Darkness is all around. Yeah, but there's the goodness of God. I'm going to keep finding it because his light is in the darkness. And we're not to walk in it. So he says, I'm the light of the world. So you know what darkness is. Now there's this word for light. And I could go with the Hebrew. I could go with the Greek. I'm actually going to go with the Aramaic, giving you Bible knowledge here. Aramaic is what Jesus spoke most of the time. He did speak Hebrew. He did speak Greek. But Aramaic is what he... Oh, I got to say a joke. Ross, Ross Lang joke. You probably heard it before, but it's one of my favorites. What do you call someone who speaks three languages? Trilingual. What do you keep someone who speaks two languages? Bilingual. What do you call someone who only speaks one language? American. American. Right? Jesus spoke more than, he spoke three languages. That's most of humanity. Most people on this planet speak more than one language. I speak one language. Um, so Jesus spoke Aramaic. And so this word light in Aramaic is this. It's nubra, nubra. I don't know how to say it. It's often used as a metaphor for teachings that bring enlightenment and revelation into the hearts of men. Light can also represent the presence of God, the light of his countenance. Jesus is the light of God living within us. His light equals happiness. There's so much more powerful things, but I feel like that last statement is like happiness, right? But I was thinking about it. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, right? He says, blessed are those who mourn. Anyone that's done any kind of study knows that that word blessed can also mean what? Happy. Or light bearers are those who mourn because they radiate comfort. I read the whole Sermon on the Mount differently after reading that light and happiness. Oh, okay. So blessed or happy or light bearers are those who mourn because they radiate comfort for others. How do you know how to comfort others? Because you first had to go through something difficult and receive comfort. So light bearers are those who mourn because they're going to radiate comfort for those around them. Go through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, right? I won't do all of them, but light bearers are those who are meek, for they shall radiate their inheritance on the earth. 
When you are bearing and light giving of meekness, that you are humbled, that you have all power and authority like Jesus, but you don't rule and reign over people and tell people they're idiots, but you serve them in meekness with all the authority of God, you radiate the inheritance that God has for his people. It's this whole Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Light bearers are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall radiate with satisfaction. Do you radiate with satisfaction in life? The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. I radiate with satisfaction no matter what season I'm in. I've learned how to abound and to be abased. And no matter what, I just radiate the goodness of God in my life. When I, again, I quote it all the time, Paul and Silas in the jail cell. When I am beaten and thrown in a dungeon, I'm locked in chains. Oh man, I'm going to sing of the goodness of God. Because it doesn't matter the circumstances. The joy of the Lord cannot be taken from me based off of external circumstances. I am a light bearer. See, this is Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is giving the best sermon he's ever given, right? Sermon on the Mount. And in the, middle of all, in the middle of all this idea of blessed are those, happy are those, light bearers are those, what does he say in Matthew 5.14? You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, Right? So don't, shine, don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others. Jesus made the statement first, I am the light of the world. Then he says, all right, you're the light of the world. Don't hide your light. Why does the Bible give us a command? Because it means it's not easy. It comes natural to hide your light. When you go through something difficult, it's natural to be discouraged, to be depressed, to want comfort for other people. But to be a light bearer means that when, you should go, when you're going through something where you should need comfort, you actually are radiating comfort. Again, the kingdom of God is always an upside-down world. Uh, we've talked about several of these things, right? How, how do you get a hunger for God's word? You eat to get hungry. I will never... If I just pray, God, give me a hunger for your word, it's, it's not going to happen until I actually spend time reading his word and I spend time reading his word and I discipline myself. Now I have a hunger for his word. I've created an appetite for something. So it's the same thing. Too often, we in the church, I know we're supposed to comfort one another. And it's not wrong to need comfort. But at some point, Jesus is saying, you are to radiate comfort when you are the one that's supposed to be needing it. Why, why does it say the joy of the Lord will be your strength? If everything is already going good and everything in life is, you are happy because everything's going your way just the way you want it, do you need strength? No. The Bible is there to tell you the joy of the Lord will be, when you need strength, when you feel weak, when you feel like nothing is going your way, start rejoicing and watch how the strength comes. You don't rejoice when you are strong. You rejoice when you're weak. So this is what he's saying. You are to radiate light. You are the light of the world. You are to shine forth. I want to share my faith with people, but not in an argumentative way to win an argument. I, I, I have no desire for that. I, I love hermeneutics. I love um, apologetics. I love all the things of trying to explain things and using reason and logic. That's great. At some point, when I share my faith with somebody, I don't use all that. I share my own personal testimony. 
God is so good to me. I have this peace that no matter what goes on in my life, oh, I can taste God's goodness in the midst of a horrible situation. That is more attractive to somebody. I want you to have that same peace. Can, can I give you that peace? Yeah, I'd love to have that peace. All right, well, there's a prince of peace. And he says, he'll forgive you of your sins. Just confess that you're a sinner. And he'll forgive you and all the guilt and shame, it goes away. Oh. Hmm. I love this idea, right? I'm getting there. Shine bright like a diamond. Proverbs 4.18 says this. The ways of right living people glow with light. The longer they live, the brighter they shine. Is that you? The longer you live, the brighter you shine? You're growing from glory to glory? Can I say it this way? The more troubles, the more difficulties, the more life throws on you, the brighter you shine? This is what it's saying. It's not just saying in an older age. It's saying the more life is pain, right? That's a quoting, I know an old quote, but that's, for me that's quoting Princess Bride, right? <laughs> life is pain. You can say that, and there's a truth to that. But the more pain, the more difficulty I go in, I'm just going to keep shining brighter and brighter and brighter. This is what wisdom says. Proverbs. Solomon's saying this. Oh, man, the more trials you go through, the more you should radiate God's goodness. Daniel 12.3 says this. Talking about this idea of wisdom. Those who are wise, the people of God. That's you. You're wise. If you're the people of God. Shall shine as brightly as the sun's brilliance. And those who turn many to righteousness will glitter like stars forever. You are to radiate, and as you bring people into the kingdom of God, you're going to bright, shine even brighter. So you are called to radiate the life and the hope and the goodness and the peace, the, all the things of who Jesus is, but it's supposed to have an effect on those around you. And as you bring other people into the kingdom of God, you actually begin to shine even brighter. It's this ongoing, the longer you live, the brighter you get. The more people you bring into the kingdom of God, the brighter you're going to shine. I don't have this on the thing, but I remember I memorized this a long time ago. Um, Proverbs, I think it's 1130, says that he who wins souls is wise. I was on a quest when I was my son Benjamin's age in high school. I read a proverb every single day. I had little devotionals all about wisdom. I wanted wisdom so bad at a young age. And I just remember reading that like, oh, he who wins souls is wise. If I want wisdom, I got to go bring people to Jesus. He who wins souls is wise. All right, so this idea of glittering like stars in heaven, we just read that in Daniel. Shining bright like a diamond. This uh, past weekend, no, not yesterday, but last weekend um, at my kids' school, my youngest, Ezra, was in the elementary school play. And it's very different than when I was in school. Elementary school plays was like every kid in elementary got a part and you just like stood there as a tree and like they clapped for you for being a tree. Like everyone was in it. Not anymore, at least not where my kid goes to school. Um, it's after school program and you have to audition and get a headshot and sing a solo in front of a whole bunch of directors and then find out what you're good enough for and then get a position. Anyways, it's this huge thing where it's like this production. It's not a school play. Anyways, this huge production happened. And after that, they performed multiple weekends, multiple times throughout the weekend. So there's this big shindig. And at the end, I didn't know they did this. Um, the director had a sparkle award. And she was given a sparkle award because she grew up in the arts. And her dad used to always tell her, when you go on stage, I want to see you sparkle. 
right? And so she equated to that. She wanted to pass that on to um, the kids that she's directing. And she gave the idea of like Shirley Temple. When Shirley Temple was on stage, larger than life personality at that young little age, right? Just she glowed energy, right, on stage. And so this award was given to a boy and a girl in the production, 90-some-odd kids in this big production. And it was given to a boy and girl that sparkled on stage. And it wasn't given to the person, the person that got the award, the boy and girl, were not the ones with the biggest roles. They were support actors, right? Small parts in the play that maybe didn't have much significance in the whole story, but somehow they were giving the small part and they sparkled. They brought life to that, that role. And it affected the entire atmosphere of the play. It brought laughter where it was supposed to be just a small little side thing. And the entire audience is laughing because of this one small kid just sparkling. And so this sparkle award was given. And I just wonder, what if that was us in the church? What if we lived to sparkle? It didn't matter what role we were given, whether we were the pastor, whether we were a deacon. It doesn't matter what role. We just found whatever role we were given, and we just did it with all of our might. And we did it with all of our joy. And we just radiated the goodness of God in what we did. That's what will bring a billion soul harvest. Not us as a church being more informed and knowing how on a piece of paper to share our faith, which is good. I want us to be prepared. But it's not preparing academically how to share faith. It's getting your heart and mind prepared to radiate the goodness and, of God. Just to shine bright. To let Jesus come out of what we do. That we have a... Re- I don't have to share my faith if people aren't asking. Right? That's what we read. In 1 Peter 3, always be ready to tell everyone who asks. The thing is, we need people to ask. I'm telling you, there will never be a worldwide revival until the church learns how to shine bright like a diamond. I'm not a scientist, but I found a quick look. You can read big articles that are too heady for me. But do you know how a diamond is formed? I'll give you one quick sentence. Kindergarten answer. Let me find it. Simply put, diamond formation occurs when carbon deposits deep within the earth are subject to high temperatures and high pressure. I can't tell you how that happens, but that's what it says. In a dark place, under high pressure, under high heat, a diamond is formed. I am believing that Jesus is coming back for a beautiful, radiant, diamond-like bride. And where is that diamond formed? In a dark place, under pressure, under heat. Where does light shine the brightest? In the darkness. You're going to hear, right, end times, wars and rumors of wars. And I don't want us to walk in darkness. When we hear things that are difficult and hard and painful and sad, we as the church are not called to walk in darkness like the rest of the world. We are called to shine the goodness of God, the hope of Jesus. Philippians 2.14 says this, In everything you do, stay away from complaining and arguing. You are to live clean, innocent lives as children of God in a dark world full of people who are crooked and stubborn. Shine out among them like beacon lights. 
Don't be surprised if you have people that are crooked, bothering you, doing horrible things to you. Don't be surprised. You live in a dark world full of crooked people. But you are called to shine brightly among them. You're not called to go to their level and walk in darkness. A famous one to go along with this, Isaiah 60, verse 1. I love it. I've been reading it in the Passion Translation because I've memorized it in other translations. It says this, Arise, my people, let your light shine for all the nations to see. For the glory of the Lord is streaming from you. Darkness as black as night shall cover all the peoples of the earth. But the glory of the Lord will shine from you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see the glory of the Lord upon you. This is about the church, but it's also about you personally. You are going to walk in dark places. And God is calling you to arise and shine because his light is shining through you, from you. I've heard it said that we just reflect the glory of God. There's truth to that. But at some point, Scripture is saying, actually, no, we are the glory of God. We are the expression of God. Jesus is the great expression of, of the Father, right? The exact representation. I know I am not God, but I am called to live as an ambassador. I am called to live as an apostle, someone who, who represents the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Everything that happens in heaven is supposed to happen here on earth. That's what Jesus taught us to pray. Connecting it. John 4, 35, when Jesus is there, that woman at the well. Jesus says, look around you. Vast fields of human souls are ripening all around us and are ready now for reaping. Reaping not from us being forced to eat our veggies, but there is a harvest that is ripe for people who need hope, who need peace, who need joy who need the goodness of God in their life. And if we actually shined these things, they would want Jesus. They don't want religion. They don't want faith. And I'm not saying that in a negative way. They want the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. They want joy and gladness. And that can only be expressed through you and me, shining it. One last verse I got to read. Romans 15, 13. Now may God, the fountain of hope, fill you to overflowing with uncontainable joy and perfect peace as you trust in him. And may the power of the Holy Spirit continually surround your life with his superabundance until you radiate with hope. Leave this on the screen for a second. Because some of you need to memorize this. Some of you need to take a picture of it. You need to write it down. You need to get it in you. I've heard this. Like I said, I grew up in this church. I've lived in the church all my life. I've heard this verse. Memorized in different translations. But two years ago or so, a little over two years ago, I don't mean to keep bringing it up. My sister passed away. My brother-in-law passed away. My spiritual mom passed away all within a few months. And I remember reading this verse again, one that I'd memorized And it had a completely different meaning. It was hitting me in a completely different way. In a moment, I felt 
almost like Job. Like I had a reason it was valid for me not to be hope-filled and full of joy. I had a lot of things ripped from my life all at once. I was like, this is right for me to feel sad. I need to mourn. I need to grieve. It's the grieving process. I need to go through it. And as I read this verse, I felt a little bit like Job. God was speaking to me, Ryan, gird yourself like a man. I'm the fountain of hope. In the midst of this tragedy, I have not lost any hope over your life, over your kids, over the nation of America. I don't care how much evil and things are going wrong in the wrong direction. God is a fountain of hope. He has never lost any of his hope. And he's saying, out of this fountain of my hope, Ryan, I want to fill you continually with uncontainable joy and a perfect peace that cannot be robbed. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to surround your life with a super abundance. So until you radiate with hope. I don't know why I keep saying it. Because I probably, I just need to hear. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. God gave me a new name years ago. Champion of hope. I believe that is who I am. But I believe there are levels of radiating hope that I have not even hoped, dreamed, or imagined yet. And I want to. I want to own this verse until I radiate with hope. Not my hope. It's the fountain of God. That no matter what, no matter how horrible the situation is, I can speak hope in a way that doesn't seem cheap. I know there's a time and season, right? I know when someone's going through hard, I know scripture. I know scripture says that If you greet your neighbor too early in the morning, it's not a blessing, right? There's things about weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. I get it. But there's something in my spirit that it's not okay for me, can I say this, to weep with those who weep the same way they're weeping. Jesus wept, the very shortest verse in the Bible, right? He felt their pain, but he knew he was coming to bring resurrection life. His weeping was not the same as their weeping. He was coming to bring hope. So he partnered with them in their emotions, but he said, I've come to be the resurrection and the life. It's not okay for us to just keep weeping with people that are sad and in their pity party. I want to be relatable, but I don't want to go down into their darkness. I'm going to radiate the goodness of God and the hope of God, and if it smells foul to them, it's not my fault. I didn't have time to do this, but in John chapter 4, on either side, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, do you know the verse before that, what just happened? The Pharisees threw an adulteress, caught in the very act at his feet. The very verse before, he says, I forgive you. The next verse, I am the light of the world. Susie makes that declaration, what the very next verse says, and the Pharisees were offended at him. The hope and the life and the light that he was bringing, it brought salvation to one and offended many. I don't want to be afraid to offend the many to save one. I'll leave the 99 to save the one. Jesus' parables, right? The sower, 
throughout the seed, how many of the four soils actually sprung up and brought a harvest? One. He brought the same good news of the gospel to four different soils, only one. At some point, you are going to be rejected. Your light, your hope, what you radiate, people are going to say, what's wrong with you? You got rose-colored glasses. Your head's in the sky. What a... Consider it joy. As the worship team comes on up and we close the service, I just... i got to invite you. There's someone maybe in the room that maybe Jesus has never actually come into your life to bring that kind of joy. Maybe you've been in the church, maybe you've heard the salvation message before, but something didn't change where the joy of the Lord became your strength. Maybe you felt like you were forgiven of some sins, but the guilt and the shame never left. Today, God wants to bring the joy of his salvation. Today is the day of salvation. Not just to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life, but to give you joy and it more abundantly. I've come to give you life that you might have it more abundantly, that rivers of living water would stream out of you. So I'm going to give an invitation. If you want to make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you can come up with just a second. Maybe you already know that you're saved, but if you're honest with yourself this morning, you've lost that love and feeling. You've lost the joy of the Lord. You've walked in darkness in some area of your life. In one way of thinking, some circumstance has come in, something the enemy has done, some sin you committed. I don't, you fill in the blank. Something has come and it's robbed the joy or the peace of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. If you are not full of peace, radiating peace, radiating joy, you're not fully alive in the kingdom. So I'm going to invite people that want to make Jesus their Lord and Savior for the first time to come up. If you want to rededicate your life, or you already know you're saved, but in this area, you need the joy of the Lord. You need a fresh new perspective, like we sang during worship, to see the goodness of God. Or you just came this morning and you just want prayer for anything. I would encourage you, maybe you coming up for prayer for anything, coming up to prayer, you'll encourage somebody else who needs salvation. So don't be ashamed, don't be afraid to come get prayer. So I'm going to say a quick prayer. We're going to stand up. As I stand up, we're going to sing a worship song. Come forward. Leaders will be up here. So God, I thank you that today is the day of salvation. We're turning the page. That the old is gone, the new is here. The joy of the Lord will be our strength from this day forward. That we will radiate hope, peace, and all that you have, Jesus. So God, I pray that we would eat our veggies, we would do things maybe outside of our comfort zone, that we would share our faith, that the kingdom of God would expand because of our obedience to you, Lord. So God, we give you praise. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.